This place is special. You get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's 6 in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school. And we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome, welcome, welcome in. I am Doug Scott, joined, of course, by QB11, and this is the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. Andrew, I have one question for you. Sir. Do you believe? I heard it's personal this week. I don't know. I don't know if you've heard that, but that's what I heard. I've also heard that Prime has come up with an innovative new um, coaching technique that's never been tried before, where he's been playing the the fight song of, of Oregon at practice this week, which apparently is groundbreaking coaching. Hey, that's uh, that sounds pretty unique. I don't think that uh, I heard they're also going to paint this. What, what did Emily say that they're going to paint the stripes on the field or who said that Some, someone tweeted that on the today. practice that field. Funny. They're actually going to have like the football line. Yeah. Are they're they going to have hash a, marks and stuff. Yeah. Are they playing with a real football? Are they practicing with a real football? This I week? don't, I don't know that that might be a step too far. Um, but we'll, Look, we'll find out on Saturday. I mean, yeah, we will find out on Saturday. Look, I think actually uh, Prime and his coaching staff are doing a great job this year. I guess Sean I know, Lewis, I, the offensive coordinator, particularly has been really great. But I mean, some of the media, like like absurd. Like I mean, like it's one thing when there's there's a lot of casual. I think Josh Pate really talked about this pretty well on his podcast a couple of episodes ago earlier in the week about how the Prime effect. The the good is you're getting a ton of eyeballs on on the sport that weren't there before. And that's, and those are people that, you know, some of those might get converted to be college football fans, which is great. And you have to take the bad with that, which is you have a lot of casuals. You have a lot of people who don't understand what they're talking about. you got people who cover other sports who are now like covering college football that really have no, no context. Right. And so when you see like media out, national reputable media outlets tweeting out things today, like how innovative, Colorado is being by playing Oregon's fight well, song. It's because they're paying I, it's attention for the first time. It's embarrassing. Well, it is, but it's also because they're paying attention for the first time, right? Like it's just a na- it's the nature of the beast, right? Like you have new people to the sport and they 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 learn something that they think is innovative because the first time they've heard it and so they want to share that and like again, I don't it is what it is. Like if the sport's yeah. growing, that's a good thing. Like it's this is kind of like one of those situations where like you, we all know those people, those people that like find out about a band early. And so as soon as you start liking the band, they just talk shit to you like, oh, you're not even a real fan. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> don't don't be that college football fan. Like our, obviously like our podcast aims to make Oregon fans more educated. Um, and that like 
even that sounds like we think we're weird. We know more than other people, and that's not necessarily the case. But like, it's one of those things where like as the sport grows, or or as new people come to the sport, and like Dion is a case where like masses of people are like becoming fans of the sport yeah. for the first time. It, the learning curve, and like people are excited by shiny objects that are really not that shiny. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. And and like you know, as an example. They were play, played Colorado State in the late night window, the the after dark window, if you will, on ESPN last weekend, and got nine point three million viewers. Like, what percentage Which is of insane. those? Insane, an insane number. It's like five times the most watched ESPN late night game ever. Um, but but what percentage of those aren't regular college football viewers? And so that's really exciting for the sport. You have all these new eyeballs on it, and that's great. And I think it's it is to your point incumbent upon us who are here to to bring those people into the fold, not by not push them away. Right. Like you don't want to come across as being jerks about, you don't know, like you said in the band analogy. Right. Um, but at the same point, like as you bring them into the fold, there's an opportunity to, to kind of educate. As and well I'm definitely the, the telling, not telling you to talk shit because they are obnoxious and they're loud <laughs> and right. they, they think they know more than you. And like, again, like I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't like give them a hard time and mess with them because shoot, I was doing it all day today. I'm having some fun with some Colorado fans that genuinely think that like this is the same thing as what they experienced against TCU or Nebraska, and they're going to beat us. And I, uh, as we will get to throughout the course of this episode, vehemently disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that this content. is going to be this is going to be a fun one. I, I, you know, I think one of the more outlandish things I read today or heard today or saw tweeted today was this idea that like they have zero concern with our running game. I, I'm just blown away by that. Yeah, I mean, but but again, the people that are saying that are people that really don't understand the personnel for either team, right? Like the yeah, you're not you're not seeing people that have really any clue of the personnel on either of these teams say that. Yeah, so you just gotta fair. take it all, take it all with a grain of salt, right? And then, yeah, no, I'm but I'm very much looking forward to this. I don't know if you answered though. Do you believe? Do I believe <laughs> in Santa? Like, what, what do I, what do I believe? I don't in? know. That's Dion's thing. Do you believe? I don't know. Do you believe now? I, the one thing I'll note, like immediately, and I know that we were going to talk about this at some point in the podcast, is like every week there has been like a lot of noise coming from Dion, whether it's, it's personal or blah, blah, blah. Like there's been like taglines and kind of like shit talk and it's been silence this week. Like there's been nothing. Yeah. It has been a very different. Yeah. There's been a lot of bravado, a lot of trash talking, a lot of strutting leading up even before the TCU, particularly before the Nebraska and Colorado state games. Right. Whereas the only thing I've heard out of Dion, the, all week long was like effusive praise for Dan Landing and the work that he's done at Oregon. I also think that it's because there's a lot of familiar familiarity between uh, some members of his staff and coach Landing, And like, they've worked together in the past for like Charles Coe, the defensive coordinator was at Alabama at the same time. And like, they come from a similar coaching tree and I'm sure that they've rubbed shoulders a whole bunch. And so again, like I, I don't think that that's disingenuous. I think that there is probably a lot of mutual respect between these staffs and like, if like Dan Lanning is not an old guy, he's shoot. He's only like what eight years older than I am, seven years older than I am. Like, like he probably looks at Dion the same way I look at Dion, which is like Dion's the best corner of all time. And like, so I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a substantial amount of respect for him as like as a player. Um, 
notwithstanding even what he's done as a coach so far at Colorado. So, and I, and I, I think that what he's done for football in general, whether it's at the HBCU level or, or the power five level is, is really big. Like he's using his platform um, to bring attention to like some really high quality FCS football at the HBCU, HBCU level, bringing like really helping like finance and bring funding to that. Like, I think, again, I, a lot of people don't like him. He's, he is arrogant. I a hundred percent agree. He's probably, he is a narcissist um, as are all good corners. So just keep that in mind. But I think that what he's done for kids and specifically in the black community, I think is like, it cannot be under, like, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. I mean, and clearly, you know, on, on the football field and, and, you know, kind of off the football field too. I mean, like, I think I read where the Colorado football team has had one of its highest GPAs in, you know, in years since he's gotten there. So, uh, he's doing a lot of things right. I, I've always said, and I said this when you know when he got hired and with some of the transfer portal stuff. Like, I have zero problem that he turned over ninety percent of his roster. Like, zero problem with that. The issue I took was publicly throwing guys under the bus. Like, I because that's just not my style, right? Like, say, you know, saying guys are trash, saying guys are luggage, saying guys you know, aren't good enough. And then finding out that in some of those cases, he never even actually talked to that player one single time. Like, I don't, I have a problem with the, some of the way that he's gone about his actions, not with his actions. Like, great. I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. I mean, ultimately his job is to win. Like he's going to be judged on his success or his failure. Right. And like that roster that they had last year, I mean, we talked about it going into last season and beat it to death all year last year. Like that's one of the, like not just like a bad roster. It's probably one of the worst rosters in like modern college football history. That roster yeah. was horrible. And like, I, like, I don't, I don't know that that, like, again, not to beat a dead horse, but if you took that team down to, to the big sky, I don't know that they would have been better than like the fourth or fifth best team. That was a very, 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 very bad football team. Oh, yeah. of a handful of players. Yeah, and again, that's why I don't have a problem with him running everyone off. I just don't – I think there's a, a classier – what I would call a classier way to go about it. I think you just – you know, like, I don't know. But I don't – I think he's done a great job, and I think – I mean, I, to be honest with you, Doug, what like, he's done. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's any different than what's happening at every program in the country. I just think that he didn't hide it. I really – like, ultimately, I think that's like – because, like, we've – I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds, but we've heard about how certain players have been run off from Oregon and – and other schools and like again it's, it's the ugly part of the business but it's the truth like winning's what matters you have 85 scholarships and if a guy's not going to contribute they have to leave and sometimes they won't leave unless you kind of force them to and probably not the nicest and most cuddly ways so yeah i don't um, again i don't even have a problem with that i just think that, that you don't need to then get on a microphone and say that guy sucks <laughs> right like that like you can you can tell the guy to his face he sucks and send him on his way but you don't have to tell it to the world yeah no i i get I, I agree. I don't disagree with that. I guess I'm just saying that he just did the ugly thing in, in the open, which I almost I can almost respect because it is it is just part of the game. Like it's yeah. part of the. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we agree on that. We agree on that. All right, let's get into this game, and I'm going to switch it up. I want to talk about the Colorado offense versus the Oregon defense first this time. Um, you know, just kind of running through some of the numbers here. I mean, Colorado's offense has certainly been what's carried them to their three zero record thus far. Um, you know, almost exclusively in the passing game and behind, you know, Shadur Sanders. 
uh, just looking at some numbers through three games, you know, Colorado is averaging 2.8 points per drive, which is 33rd in the country. Um, They're getting about 55% of available yards, which is 35th in the country. And they're averaging about 6.5 yards per play, which is 31st in the country. So they're solidly in the 30s on those three metrics. And obviously that doesn't get into efficiency and and the other things that we, we often talk about. But those are three kind of those are not controlled for for opponent strength and not and not using any last season data either. Those are just the true numbers from this year. I think the tough thing when you look at advanced metrics for Colorado is most of the models are still using about 50 percent this year data and 50 percent last year data. And they're, they were just so, so bad last year. Like it's weighing down their metrics and making their offense look, you know, much worse than it really is this year. So I think that's why I'm trying to like tease out some things that are just exclusively looking at this year data. Uh, and, and that's why always, I'm not. Yeah, go ahead. That's like why I'm not in our previews so far this season. I'm not really citing like once we get to like week five, week six, and it's like primarily are all this season's data. I like to cite the advanced metrics a lot in our previews, but like right now there's just so much variance still, especially with the transfer portal. There's probably more variance than ever before. Ever before. And for, this especially year by for far. a team. Yeah. Especially for a team like Colorado, where so many of their contributing players are coming up a level, and so like, how do you how do you effectively like suss out the the, the difference in quality of competition, right? Well, let's start there yeah. with Shadour, right? Because I mean, he he played really well at Jackson State. I never watched him play, but like statistically, he looked he looked pretty good. But I think the question is now you're moving up two levels of play, really, from FCS past the G five into the Power Five, and um, you know, he's he's competed almost 80% of his passes. He has 1,250 yards, 10 touchdowns to one interception. Um, and obviously, if you watch the end of that Colorado State game, like he made big play after big play after big play to, to yeah. win them that game. I, I think the, the things about Shadur that are the most, like the biggest compliments I can give to him is that like coming out of high school, like he was not this player. Like he was very, 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 very raw mechanically. Um, and I've heard Buddy Elliott talk about it too, like talking to some of the different coaches, uh, Buddy Elliott from the Cover 3 podcast, talking to different coaches around the country, seeing him at camps when he was a high schooler, like he was a mechanical mess. Um, and I guess one of the benefits of having an all-time great NFL father is you have access to a lot of really, really high-end coaching, right? Um, and one of the things that Shador is like very much exemplary of is that like you can improve your mechanics if you're committed to doing it and you're willing to put in the time. And like in the case of him, he's had access to some of the best teachers in the country. And um, because of that, like he is now an unbelievably consistent pastor, pastor. He's very pastor. He's (laughs) he's very accurate. Um, And I think the the piece that's probably the most impressive is like his, the game, the way he plays the game cerebrally. And what I mean by that is he is getting his ass kicked. Like he, again, I'm sorry. I need to quit cursing on the podcast. 15 sacks, 15 sacks on the year. He's getting tossed around. He's getting beat up and he just gets up. He stands in and he keeps his eyes downfield and he stands confident in the pop- pocket and delivers. And like, that's not easy to do when you're just getting pummeled every game over and over and over again. And that was the case against Colorado state. And I think like the most effusive praise I can give to him is that he is a good quarterback playing behind a horrible offensive line. And it's not really impacting. I mean, it's obviously impacting his production, but it's not, it's not prohibiting him from making the plays to win games in, in hard situations. And there's not a lot of college quarterbacks that are doing that. There's really, there's really not, because um, it, it's it is infinitely harder to play quarterback behind the kind of offensive line that he is 
And I think it's also a testament to Sean Lewis, their offensive coordinator, and the job that he's done so far this year, um, putting them in a situation to be successful, using control plays to slow down rushes. And even with that, they're not really slowing down rushes a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, 15 sacks, but I don't know how many more pressures and hurries, you know, beyond that. It's, it's, he, his, he's not really, I, I wouldn't call him a, a dual threat quarterback. Like they don't really do a lot of designed runs for him. And and even when he scrambles, he's, he seems to be more of the scramble to throw versus scramble to run type of player. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. hundred percent. He's, he's not an explosive athlete. He's a good athlete. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that he's not, um, a good athlete, but like he's a good athlete within the confines of the pocket. Um, and when he breaks the pocket, he can pick up some yardage, but he's not, he's not running away from anybody. He's not an explosive runner. He's, he's a couple steps slow of that. Um, so I would say that like for him, it's mostly within the pocket. And if he does escape the pocket, he can pick up yardage, but he's not someone that's a threat to house it from even 25 yards out. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if you look at the running game, they really don't run the ball much at all. I mean, there are three running backs, uh, Dylan, led by Dylan Edwards, of course, are, have a combined 60 carries in three games, um, you know, which is, you know, only about only about 20 a game and only have about 250 yards combined between the three of them. So they're just, it's not a, you know, they, they're not very effective at it when they try it, um, but they, I think they, they have to obviously do it enough to keep the defense somewhat honest. Yeah, I um, I have not been impressed with their ability to run the ball. I don't really think anybody has. But the one thing I'll say is they do enough of it, and they do it in interesting enough ways that you have to at least you have to play enough bodies in the box to respect it. Um, and I I use respect very loosely in this context. Um, I think the thing the thing with their run game in particular is just that if Dylan Edwards somehow is able to get the edge. Like he's got pretty elite explosiveness and he can make guys miss in space. And I would really consider their running back pass game, their run game, right? Like they, whether they're swinging it out to him in the screen game or, or trying to get him isolated on a backer out of the backfield in the vertical passing game. That's, that's what their run game has been to this point this year. And I think that game state and game flow is kind of dictated that they throw the ball a lot. Like they were played from behind against Colorado state. They were in a shootout against TCU um, and then Nebraska, it was one of those games where they just couldn't run the ball. Their only offense was throwing, and so that's what they did. So we'll see. They're getting Alton Casco back, the the Houston transfer running back this week. He's a bigger body. There's a lot of Colorado fan, fans on the internet that are operating under the impression that he's going to be the 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 savior and he's going to make their run game better. My issue with their run game has nothing to do with the running backs. My issue with the running game is that yeah. their offensive line is – probably the worst in the Pac-12. Um, I don't really yeah. think I'm s- stretching to say that. I mean, it's... Th- I mean, they're not even really a, a whole lot better in pass pro at the, on the long offensive line. I mean, they're, they're executing a lot of... They're getting the ball out quick. They have a lot of design I mean, passes. They're trying. Right? He, their yeah, quarterback they're is getting trying. hit a lot. Like, I mean, the, the amount of hits that Chitter's hit it taking are not, like... I'm not saying it's not a sustainable number. I don't wish him to get injured. I don't know that he will get injured but it's you're playing with fire you're, you're playing with fire allowing him to drop back and get hit as often as he is and you don't want to run him and so that's one way to get numbers back in the run game and they can't do that so they have to do it through the rpo and in the quick screen game and that's kind of what they've been doing to this point 
Yeah, I mean, obviously these number rushing numbers in college take into account sacks, so you kind of have to factor that in. But I mean, 34 rushes for 55 yards against TCU, 33 rushes for 58 yards against Nebraska. So both of those well under two yards per carry. And then, you know, 25 for 70 against uh, Colorado State, which again is only 2.8 per carry. So again, some of those are sacks, but you filter that out. I mean, their they're three running backs combined are averaging under four yards a carry. So it's not it's not a facet of their offense that Oregon should should fear or that they are even good at executing against, you know, mediocre to bad, uh, you know, or, or to over talented teams like, like Colorado State. Yeah, yeah, it's not the the this offense on Saturday for Colorado is going to live and die in Shador Sanders back. He's going to be everything. And the problem that I have with that, if if I'm a Colorado fan, I'm worried because Travis Hunter was our only like true X or Z receiver. Everybody else is more of a slot body type, right? And so, and I'm not saying that Jimmy Horn or Xavier Weaver aren't good players, solid players, but they they aren't the body types that cause problems on the outside. And I think that Oregon has just so much length and talent at the at the cornerback position that they're going to have a really hard time separating vertically. So, like their entire passing game to me is going to be kind of isolated between the hashes. Um, and that's again, like, if you don't have a run game and you don't have a good offensive line and you're playing against a team that's got exceptional interior pass rush, I, I don't know that I want my quarterback to have to throw crossers and digs all day. Um, and, like, there's things that they can do, whether it's, like, half rolls to get them out, and, like, there's level stuff. Screen. And like, yeah, screens, and they've got some, they, like, Horn and, and, and Weaver are fast, so they, could, they might be able to figure out a way to get them open on the outside, but... I just the more I think about what Colorado does offensively, the more I think that this is just a really good matchup for Oregon. Because when I look at Oregon and I look at our linebacker unit, which I think is the weakest unit on the defense, what they don't do well is take on blocks in a run game that's coming downhill at them, and 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 they don't like shed blocks and make make tackles in that way at a, at a super elite consistent level. What they do well is they run really well and they and they are able to. Um, they're able to get depth in their drops, and and I think that they've been pretty good in coverage so far this year. Like, I mean, and I, I think that that's kind of an obvious statement given the fact that both Hill and Bossa are former former safeties. Um, and so if you're a team that doesn't have an doesn't have a run game that you can rely on, and your whole your whole shtick is going to be, we want to we want to drop back and and throw the ball specifically in the quick game a lot to try to get the ball out of our quarterback's hands. Having playing against a team with fast linebackers, um, a good interior pass rush, and long and athletic corners that are certainly more talented than anything you have on the outside at receiver without Travis Hunter is probably not a uh, recipe for success. And Oregon is a team that, you know, if you look over the course of the season so far, and even go back to last year to some degree, they defend the, the wide receiver screen pretty well. Uh, you know, they, they're, again, because of the athleticism and the length and the strength of the corners. I mean, you know, Texas Tech really didn't get much in that in that wide receiver screen game, which is a something a facet of their offense. They they run a lot. And and we certainly saw, again, Hawaii is not Colorado, but like Hawaii was trying that all day and they got nothing. Yeah, and I think that what if Oregon, and this is going to be a test because this is a step up from last week because Shader is one of the, probably the, I mean, he's a top three quarterback on the schedule this year. Um, but if Oregon can consistently just like have hats flying to the ball, taking good angles and finishing tackles in space, like we did against Hawaii, like this is, 
this is just like it's a horrible matchup for, for Colorado because when I put myself in the shoes of of Sean Lewis and I'm not nearly as smart as him, I uh, he's forgotten more football than I'll ever learn. But just looking at at the like him introspectively looking at his personnel, like he's gonna have to find ways for to to isolate his interior slot players on Oregon's linebackers and safeties. Um, and win those matchups physically one-on-one. And I think that Oregon's improved at those positions. And again, uh, linebackers and coverage is probably the strength of the linebacker unit. Not saying it's elite, but definitely solid. Uh, and, I, and I think that Oregon's going to be totally content to sit back with two high safeties and keep everything in front. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't, right? Like bring, you know, get pressure with your four, occasional five, and you know, play the screen game, catch, make them catch everything underneath and, and clean it up and, and make them make them drive the field and execute in the red zone. Um, and, and interesting note there, you know, with Hunter out, obviously you mentioned Weaver and Horn, uh, respectively 25 and 26 catches on the year. So, I mean, they're, they're volume guys getting about eight, nine catches a game each. Travis Hunter had 16 before going out. Dylan Edwards out of the backfield, right? That You mentioned that before too. They, they use him as, an, as a pass catcher as much as a runner. Uh, the interesting thing when when Hunter went out is they they had been playing four wide receivers primarily with Tavares uh, Dawson being the the fourth, and when Hunter went out they they brought in a tight end um, Michael Harrison who had only four catches in the first two games but had seven catches for two touchdowns and a two point conversion in the double overtime in that Colorado State game so. Uh, you know, we've seen Oregon be susceptible to to tight ends in the past, so that's an interesting dynamic to watch in that game. Is that is that an area where maybe Colorado would try to try to? I mean, you have Oregon to because he's bit. that's the only way that they can improve the size that they're fielding, like in terms of pass catchers, is by going to a tight end. Because they don't they don't they don't have the big long body types on the outside. Like they just don't they don't have that they don't have those guys on the roster, um, and like that's why I think Hunter. I heard uh, one prognosticator who I respect a lot today say that Hunter was worth two points to him. Like that's unheard of for a non-quarterback. And so what to, what to me that says is that he is, he's a, he's a unique playmaker for them in regards to the way that the roster is constructed right now, which I mean, obviously no shit. He'd be a, he'd be a unique playmaker for somebody who's, um, for, for anybody in the country, just by the fact that he can be, a, he's a, he's a plus player on both sides of the ball. But that's, that doesn't happen very often. Um, but I'm more so speaking in the sense that for them, like his value is even more like drastic because they, he's their best player on both sides of the ball outside the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's pretty insane to have that much reliance on, on really two players um, for sure between him and Shador. Um, and it's, and when one goes down, it really, it really, uh, it's it's unfortunate. I think Dan said that before because you know you like to see big players in in big stages, and unfortunately for Travis Hunter in Colorado, he's going to miss the Oregon and the USC games, which are you know the two biggest stages that Colorado has this year. Um, yeah, but to be I, I'm honest, not saying it would have like mattered. If, but but if uh, you're a Colorado fan, you're you're probably kind of glad it's these like. Like here, this is here's the glass half full. If you're a Colorado fan, it's a good thing that he's missing these games because these are the games that his impact would be the least important. Because I don't think you're winning either of them, regardless. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Like it's so, kind of like resting resting your stars against you know and getting games you're going to lose anyway, so that they're ready for the games that uh, you got a chance to win. Yeah, hundred percent. 
anything more? I think we've kind of said pretty well what what to watch for on the Colorado offense and how you would attack it if you're Oregon's defense. Anything more you want to touch on there? No, I'm just really interested to see, like, like do does Dan decide to dial up pressure in this game? Or is he content to just try and drop eight and win the try to win the rush with four? And can we do that? I, I think Oregon should be able to. Um, but, like, it remains to be seen if Oregon can. Um, and, and then from Colorado's side, philosophically, they, they're one of the faster offenses in terms of pace and the number of plays they're trying to run a game in the country. Is that something that they're going to continue to do um, in this game, or are they going to try to slow it down to play, try to keep it close? Right. Yeah. I, that's the, that's really interesting question to me in this game. Right. And, I mean, you know, the old adage, if, if you're the tank, the, the less talented team, right. You want to shorten the game, have as few possessions as possible, keep the score closer so you could pull off an upset, but that also goes against Colorado's kind of natural. And not only instinct. that, but is, is Colorado even equipped to get first downs, slowing the game down and running it and keeping it on the ground and keeping the clock running. Yeah. They're pretty reliant on explosives. Yeah. I mean, they're like, that was the problem. They weren't getting explosive as explosives against Colorado state in the first half. No, so, not at all. I mean, I mean yeah. yeah I, and they had I'm a couple like, turnovers. So, yep. I'm very, I'm very interested to see what, what direction Colorado goes with this game philosophically on offense. Cause I've got, again, like I said, like, I don't think that, we can be even any more effusive in our praise of what their staff has done this year to turn that team around. Um, and I think, again, that really comes down to just when you pair a really good quarterback with a really good offensive coordinator, um, good things can happen quickly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's move over to the other side of the ball. Um, Oregon offense versus Colorado defense and um, you know, I, I think we we both agree we don't think Colorado has a very good defense at all. And I'm just to me, I'm interested a little bit too in how Oregon attacks it because I think if you're Oregon, you can come out and just say we're gonna we're gonna attack them in the running game and lean on them with our big, powerful uh, offensive line against their overmatched, undersized defense and just grind them down in the run game. And and I think that's that would certainly work. But you know. I, I think you could also have a lot of success in the passing game. So is it just, do we see Oregon just kind of beat Oregon and, and play a balanced attack or do we see them maybe, maybe go one way or the other? I don't think Oregon needs to get cute. I just think that they just run their offense. Like I, I look at this and Colorado is completely outmatched defensively against Oregon's offense in, in every phase. Um, stylistically, I think Kelly will again, try to keep things in front, try to limit explosives um, but if, if they keep that, if they keep bodies out of the box, even with Bo Nix not being involved in the run game, which I don't think he will be, I don't see how they get stops. And that's where I think they like, cause I, I, I think Shadur Sanders and they're again, going back to the offense. Like I think they're good enough to score a couple touchdowns, but like you're going to need a lot more than a couple touchdowns to win this game. 
Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I, I, I don't know I, where the stops come. Where from do the for stops Colorado. come from? Right, like where do the stops come from? Yeah, I mean, you're you're kind of maybe hoping, you know, some self inflicted wounds, right? Like what we saw in Texas Tech, except this game's at home for Oregon instead of on the road, right? I think you're hoping. I mean, if you're Colorado, they do have ten takeaways on the year, right? So you're probably hoping, can we turn the ball over a couple times? By the way, Oregon hasn't turned the ball over yet this season. So I think if you're Colorado, you got it. Your way of getting stops is trying to get turnovers, and and maybe trying to make Oregon, you know, try to beat themselves here or there, right? And, and that's a tall. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a sustainable strategy to winning. But I think that's your best no. hope. No, and again, that's why I think that philosophically they'll just make the decision to try to limit limit possessions in this game and keep it as close as possible. Because um, I, I, when I look at the personnel again. Losing Hunter hurts us a lot too because he's he's been their best defensive player, and like the drop off at corner for them is substantial, right? Like, especially because like their second best corner is now like our fifth best corner on like literally on Oregon's roster, Nico. So, yeah, it's uh, this is a matchup that's unbelievably lopsided in favors of in favor of Oregon's offense. Oregon is like the number four offense in efficiency currently, and I've fully expect that to continue this game. I really, I, I don't, I don't see the personnel. I don't know. Like they, they don't have anyone on the edge that I think is going to beat the Oregon tackles. Um, they don't really have anybody like Shiloh Sanders has been an impactful player for them, but I'm not really, I mean, he like, hasn't who, gone against, you know, a Troy Franklin or I mean, and TCU, Bryant, like, and you know. whenever TCU's quarterback was on the mark, like they got, they shredded him. Yeah. So their front, yeah, the go front got bullied by Nebraska. Like, a, so I don't, I don't have a lot of, like, if I'm <laughs> if I'm Charles Kelly, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know where you're, like, unless they've got a bunch of players on the bench that haven't been playing that they've been saving for this game specifically. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, just on those those metrics again, uh, not adjusted for opponent this year only. They're seventy second in a defensive points or sorry defensive uh yards per play they are 67th in available yards on defense and um 54th in points per drive um so they're definitely not uh, an upper echelon team um on, a, on the defensive side of the ball and and again that's not even looking at the efficiency numbers which i think are worse yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I guess it's a. I mean, are, do they sell out to try to stop the run? Do they lean back to try to stop the pass and play everything in front and make Oregon march down the field methodically, which Oregon is is very capable of doing, and in fact is one of the better teams in the country at methodical drives. Even if they do that, they're not. I, I don't think I. Oh gosh, I'm trying not to sound like a homer, but I feel like I'm just like I just. This is not a good matchup for Colorado in any way, shape, or form. Like even if they sit back. I still think that Oregon's just gets so much better on yeah. the side that they can throw the ball over the top if they want to. Like there is like with, without Travis Hunter, there is not a corner on this team that can that can keep that can stay with Troy Franklin. There just isn't. Um, and that's true for most teams in the Pac-12, mind you. But um, and that's true for every team that Oregon's played to this point. And he's far from the only weapon. And Oregon can switch personnel's. And I think this is something I'll give credit to Hifflade that he mentioned on his podcast that I really liked what he was talking about was like, Oregon's going to identify whatever the rules are of the, of the defense for, for Colorado. Um, for Hawaii, if Oregon played two tight ends, 
they put a they put a third linebacker in and got away at, got out of nickel. And so even if it was Ken, Sadiq, they still put in another linebacker. And because of this, the 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 variety and the waves of of really good offensive personnel that Oregon can field, we were able to take advantage of whatever it was in, the, in their rules that we wanted to exploit that week. Um, and so I don't know what what it's going to be this week. I would anticipate that Oregon's going to want want to try to keep Colorado light and keep as many small bodies on the field for Colorado as possible. Um, and if they do that, I think that Oregon's going to be able to run the ball as much as they want. Yeah, Nebraska ran for 222 yards, five and a half a carry, and that <laughs> they, was they with, don't even have. And that was with a quarterback who could not threaten them in the passing game at all, right? So yeah, like he's like, and he and he's a walking turnover. Yeah, he turned over. He turned the ball over. Uh, they turned the ball. He turned the ball over four times, and and they passed for 119 yards. So I mean, and they still were able to get whatever they wanted in the run game because that's how. I mean, I just I don't see how Oregon's offensive line can't just do whatever they want. Like that Colorado comeback move. lost me a parlay that would have won me a lot of money, and I was still happy about it because it sets up for a hyped matchup of two and. Let's talk about teams. that. Let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about the nine nine plus million viewers for late night at the beginning of the show, but I mean this this crowd this this scene in Eugene this weekend is going to be. I would, you know, I was at, obviously I've been at all the games for the last five or six years. Like UCLA last year was pretty electric, right? Game day was in town. Josh Pate was in town. UCLA was, you know, highly ranked. And that, that game was the, the, probably the best one in Austin, at least of the last few years. I, I think this game's going to be better. I, I mean, I think the energy level and the excitement, I mean, I'm not saying the game's going to be better. I'm saying the, the environment is going to be even more insane, at least in the first, you know, half or so of this game through shout. Oh yeah, I agree. I, I think this is going to be crazy, and I think this is going to be one of those environments where if we start killing them, which we get to our predictions later, I, I think that the, the crowd's only going to feed on that, and it's going to be one of those situations where it's like, uh, it's like, what's the uh, the scene in um, Star Wars where Kylo Ren's like more? Like it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be one of those like Oregon's bringing in a really big visitor week, especially of twenty twenty five kids. Um, and I'm sure a lot of these kids are also being recruited by Colorado. Um, and this is going to be an opportunity for us to like, kind of really put it on them. Uh, and I fully anticipate that we will. Yeah. I don't think the team's going to need any motivation this week. I mean, obviously Portland state game, Hawaii game, you know, those are, those are non-competitive games. Right. And, and look, I think the team's doing a great job. Obviously the coaches and T and players did a great job of, preparing for those games and not just showing up. Right. I mean, it's clear, you don't, you don't win those games in the dominant fashion by going through the motions. So I think that's really good, but this is one of those weeks where it's a little bit easier to, to motivate because you don't have to kind of manufacture it as much. Uh, you know, everyone, all these players, all these coaches, especially the player, like they don't, they don't need to be told, right. They're going to, they know this is going to be an insane environment. They know like 7 million plus people are going to be watching this on TV um, and they know it's an opportunity to show out, right? So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to being there. I mean, obviously, the first two games of the year were fun to be at, but like we, the crowd never had to really get in. I mean, I'm not saying the crowd wasn't into it, but the crowd never had to really get loud, right? You know, we, there was never that like, oh my God, we need this third down stop and let's get crazy insane and, and, you know, shake the building. Like it just wasn't, those games didn't have that flow. They were 21 zip and three minutes, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think that this game like has the the makings of like one of the crazier environments 
in odds in history. And it's not because Colorado is one of the best teams that's ever played in the stadium. It's just that all the other stuff that goes into the game um, and the hype around it, the hype around Dion and the train. I think a lot of Oregon fans are sick of hearing about it. Um, and so I think the crowd's going to be loud and engaged. And I think the team's sick of hearing about it. And I think that like one of the, one of like the, like the larger themes so far this season is that like, I, I think that like Oregon's kind of like sliding under the radar a little bit and, and not getting as much national respect as I think that maybe is warranted. And so I, yeah. I just look at this as an opportunity for a team that I met mean, is probably going to have a little bit of a chip on its shoulder to come out and like really lay it on somebody. And I have a feeling that Colorado is going to be a victim of that. Yeah. I mean, between USC, Colorado, Washington, and even maybe Utah, like Oregon might be the fifth most talked about team in the in the conference on a national level, uh, which is kind of insane to me. Um, and I think they're not anywhere near the fifth most, fifth best team in this conference. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of playing into what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's get to predictions on this, and then we'll get to other games. So Oregon is a 21-point home favorite. I know this line was was huge before the Colorado State game, and then it dropped after that week. And was I think you you said you got in on it at 14 and a half, which is like I, I have three. Like to, I'll be honest with everybody. Like I'm not playing a lot of other games this week. Like I know I the, some some people are like well I don't like to bet on my team because it's bad juju. I don't really believe in that. I think I bet on the teams that I have an edge with, and I know Oregon's roster and this team, I think as well or better than anybody. Um, and I think I have a massive edge this week against against these casual betters who are who have been riding the Dion train all all year, um, and are, are just eating it up. And I put a hundred percent, well, not a hundred percent, about eighty percent of my bets on Oregon this week. I got. Two tickets at 14 and a half. I got a ticket at 16 and I got a, t- a really big ticket at 17 and a half. Um, I like, I love Oregon to cover this. And at 21, I'm, I'd still take Oregon. Yeah. I, Justin and myself uh, both came in on Oregon um, minus the 21. No, no problem laying those points there. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking the score is like 52 20, somewhere in that range. Yeah, like if if Oregon doesn't slam them, like come at me, talk shit, like that's fine. I'm ready for it. But um, I am like, I'm almost scared about how confident I am in our ability to just really take care of business on Saturday against these guys, especially at home and what's going to be just a freaking crazy environment. And I'm excited to be there. Yeah, I'm excited you're coming up, and we gotta we're gonna have some early morning breakfast and uh, maybe a Jello shot, maybe a, a cocktail or a beer or something, and then uh, be nice to chit chat before the game and then we'll uh maybe get a chance to do our our um reactions our instant reactions uh episode together as well after the game so it'll be great i'm glad you'll be able to make it yeah i'm looking forward to it all right so we've all three got oregon minus 21 no problem here let's move on there's some there's some really good games this week i mean as as dud of i mean i think there, there ended up being some good a couple of good games last week 
but it was a dud of a schedule leading into the week. This week's quite the opposite. There's a lot of good games, not just around the country, but also in this conference this week. So let's talk about some of those. Um, UCLA 3-0 goes on the road to 3-0 Utah uh, in a game that is critically important for, I think, both of these teams' chances to make the Pac-12 title game, but particularly Utah because they have they just have a tough schedule this year. they got to play everybody in the top half. So uh, Utah is a four-and-a-half-point home favorite uh, hosting the Bruins. It looks like Cam Rising might play. I don't think it's been definitively said, but it could be his first game back. What do you think? I don't know if he's going to play or not. If he doesn't play, I like UCLA to win. So I'm going to I'm going to operate as if he's not playing. Maybe I'll be wrong because of that, but I'm going to – and I don't know that even if he does play that UCLA doesn't win. I actually really like this UCLA team, and I think Chip's got them playing really well right now. So um, I, I'm going to take UCLA to cover, and I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA won the game outright. Yeah, Justin also had UCLA. I also have UCLA in this one. I, I kind of agree with you. I think – I kind of think they're going to win the game outright. I I do. I think I I'm really impressed by what Utah has done and and able to manufacture their way to this three and zero schedule with the without a couple of their you know best players on offense and and against a tough schedule you know uh, going on the road at Baylor uh, you know playing um, little Florida at home right so I, I give them a ton of credit for that but I I also don't I'm not really believing in them as a you know, playoff contender type team this year. And I think this is a, this is a test where they're not going to pass. And I, I like UCLA to win this one or certainly to get it, you know, keep it close enough in that inside that four and a half. I've seen a lot of people and like, like the people that are betting Utah are basically counting on the fact that um, Dante Moore is not ready for the moment. And I, I think Dante Moore is ready for the moment. Like that kid's made of some different stuff. I, I have really, it sucks that he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> are we is this going to be a theme every week are we going to talk about this every week every episode i mean yeah that one's gonna i think this is going to be one that hurts for the long term like i don't think this one just gets better yeah i i don't think it gets better but i i guess i i just have to i have to move on because what choice do i have um, i mean i i just enjoy watching good quarterback play and like he's playing at a super high level already as a true freshman. yeah for a true freshman and and I also don't think Utah has the defensive backfield that they've had in years past. And I think that that creates an opportunity for UCLA in this one. Yeah, I don't disagree. All right. Um, another kind of sneaky good game. It's on Fox after um, opposite the Notre Dame Ohio state game, but uh, the, the pack two bowl as it's being being referred to around the country by a lot of people is Oregon state goes on the road to Pullman to take on the Cougars uh, and actually is a three-point road favorite in this one. And I'm all Cougs. I think Cougs win this game. I actually think they're the better team. I think they've been they've been the better team this preseason. Uh, I think they've played a harder schedule, and I think they performed better against it. I like them to win at home, knock off the Beavers, and uh, and I'm getting three points at home. I'm going to take that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on the same page as you. Actually, I I, I like the Cougars to win. I just I I think that. Washington State's really well coached on the defensive side of the ball, and I think that they will be competitive with the Oregon State run game, and I don't think that Oregon State's going to be able to throw the ball. Uh, and, like, as much as I kind of called Cam Ward a jag all last year, and he really was in that system, but, like, in this system, he looks like a completely different quarterback. He's a different that, guy. He's, it also helps crazy. that, like, they've, they've just vastly improved the receiver room, and I think that's one of the things that, like, kind of can't go unsaid 
is like how much like they improved that room through the transfer portal. Um, so I, again, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with the Cougs to cover here and I, I kind of like them to win if I'm honest with you. Yeah, I, I do too. I like them to win this game and I, I was way wrong on them in this preseason and, and that's my first Mia culpa, uh, even more than I was wrong on Colorado. I think I was even more wrong on, on Washington state. So, uh, I got them on this one. And Justin also picked the Cougs in this one. So, so far we're all aligned. Um, and then Justin and I are again aligned on this one. Arizona on the road, 12-point favorite at Stanford. Uh, I'm I'm riding the Wildcats, and so is Justin. I, I, even on a tw- on the road with a 12-point, laying 12 points, I, I think Stanford's just so bad. Uh, I think Arizona wins and covers. Yeah, I, uh, I also have Arizona winning and covering. I'm probably not going to pick Stanford to cover another game for the rest of the season, so... Yeah, I've been uh, today. I started doing an exercise where you know we picked our our records for each each of the Pac-12 teams for the season, like game by game, right? And and I actually did this exercise where I decided every week I'm going to kind of take obviously lock in what's already happened, but then adjust my. I'm not saying I'm retroactively changing my predictions from the beginning of the year, but I'm going to update my predictions for every team and every game in the Pac-12 every week based on the body of, of work I've seen so far. And I think Washington or Washington State, I'm going back to that a little bit, you know, I had them at four and eight, which I, I admitted on that episode, I was I was too low. I now have them at eight and four. So you know what I had plus four. <laughs> What's that? You know what I had? What did I have them at? Do you remember? Um, I'll find it. This is great podcasting like, now. They have they have like one hundred percent already surpassed my expectations. You had them at seven okay. and five. You had them at seven. Okay, yeah, and like that could be very possible. Like that could be what they end up going still. But um, either way, like I think that the job that Jake Dickert has done deserves like a lot of praise because um, they lost a lot of good players. Whether it was the draft to the transfer portal, um, they lost their offensive coordinator, but they kept the quarterback. And Jake Dickert can coach defense. That's for dang sure, and he's done a really good job. And they're still like very formidable, um, and I'm very glad we don't have to play them in Martin Stadium. That's a tough place to play, and I think that the Beavers are going to learn that this week. Uh, yeah, and I brought this up to going back to the Stanford game because I brought it up in the context of Stanford and, and also Arizona State, who we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, it couldn't, it's the opposite of Washington State, who's bumped up by four game by plus four in in my projections is both Arizona State and Stanford, who already, particularly Stanford, was very low has dropped precipitously. And the fact that Arizona State and Stanford do not play each other this year, I find hilarious because that means they both can technically go 0-9. Yeah, I feel play. bad for Kenny because, like, Arizona State's situation with injuries is just, like, completely it's, in a, it's unworkable for a team in year one like this. Yeah. I don't know and what unfortunately, he's supposed you don't to get, do. You don't get a draft, a first, a first round pick at the end of it. Unfortunately, no, you don't. Like you just hopefully get those guys healthy, and hopefully yeah. they're good players for you next year, and you recruit well, and you get good players in the transfer portal, and you can make those improvements. I do think that the environment they're going to be in next year in the Big Twelve is going to be a lot more friendly um, to to him and that team than the, the current Pac twelve, which is just like quite frankly loaded. Yeah. I actually think I think the Big Twelve is going to be a plus for all four of the corner schools compared to their their. NRA They'll be maybe. more competitive, and especially because when you look at the Big Twelve, there's no there's no more Texas or Oklahoma. Yeah, 
There's no Texas, no Oklahoma, no USC, no Oregon, no, no, you know. And all the I, I schools that have been added are schools that I think those schools can consistently beat. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, with, it, with the exception of UCF, because uh, UCF actually recruits oh, I, a, a better caliber player than... than uh, I, I actually think nobody... I mean, UCF is going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this round, round of realignment because they're going to, they're, I mean, I think they're, they have the number one ranked recruiting class in the big 12 right now for, for 2024. And I think that's only going to continue to grow uh, for, for a variety of reasons. I think they're going to be, I mean, obviously as long as Utah has got Kyle they're they have their system and they're going to be, they're going to be near the top of that league every year. But I think, you know, if I had to predict, you know, over the next five seasons, who's running the Big Twelve? It's I think UCF is right up there. Not not the first year or two, right? But but in beyond, and then Utah is going to be there, and then I think obviously Colorado with Prime is going to be in, as long as he's there is going to be in that conversation as well. And and all of a sudden, schools like Baylor and TCU and Tech are and now Oklahoma State with whatever disaster is going on there, like they're all of a sudden going like, hey, we thought we were going to run this league, and now all of a sudden we've got, uh, you know some pretty stiff competition with these new guys. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I think that like Dillingham and that Arizona state staff will get it right over time Agreed. Um, on the recruiting trail. It's just not going to be something that's instantaneous for them. All right. Thanks for the tangent. Let's get back to our picks. Uh, we both, we all three had Arizona uh, covering the 12 on the road, uh, USC, Arizona state, 34 and a half is is Arizona State this year's Colorado where you will you will uh take any line against them <laughs> until Rashada gets healthy I think you kind of have to 34 and a half I'm taking USC and laying 34 and a half on the road QB I, I mean they just got shut out name their score like, they got they lost 29 zip to Fresno at home yeah. at home yeah that bet blew up in my face when I, when like an hour before kickoff. Oh, Jaden Rashad is not playing. Today. Oh, great! So I just bet on an over where Kenny Dillingham doesn't have a quarterback. But it, <laughs> it sounds like he's taken back the play calling duties. I saw some reporting. Oh, I did um, see that. Yeah, Bo Baldwin stripped of his play calling. Which well, like I mean, if, you've, if you're familiar smart. with Bo Baldwin throughout his career um, at the Power Five level, kind of not surprising that he's no longer allowed to call plays i mean he was, was one of the more coordinator at cal for a while was that when you called no that was bill musgrave never mind yeah i don't remember what i called it but yeah well i have the drop somewhere but it, it was something like a, you know an offense to modern football or something i don't know yeah, that, that sounds about right speaking of cal they're on the road at washington Washington is a 21 point favorite at home against Cal. It, it, it's, I mean, I'm tempted and I did take Washington and so did Justin, but also you look at the history last year, this game was a lot closer than expected. Um, in the last four years, this game has been obviously not the same Washington team, but it has been a fairly contested game over the last several I've years. I've had Washington fans teams. tell me all week that Cal is a respectable opponent and is going to keep it close. And so I'm going to take their word for it and take Cal. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our buddy Hood on uh, Hood Husky on Twitter has been talking up Cal all week long. I I don't know what they're looking at to think Cal's a good football team, but Cal does have a unique way of playing with Washington. They even did last year, and Cal was they did. probably worse last year. I, mean, I don't know. They're, they're pretty bad still. 
Um, Florida's, we'll go to national now. That's all the Pac-12 games. Uh, Florida State-Clemson, obviously another huge matchup. Um, Florida State kind of squeaked out a win, Boston, a two-point win against Boston College last week, which was a little surprising. That took a little bit of the shine off of their start of their season. Clemson's looked a little better since their uh, debacle at Duke uh, early in the year. So Florida State is a two-and-a-half-point road favorite in this one. I picked Clemson. Justin went with uh, the Seminoles. I assume you're going with Florida State as well. I am going to go with Florida State because it sounds like uh, Jordan Travis is healthy, his injuries to his non-throwing shoulder. Uh, and with that in mind, I think that they're going to run the football with him because uh, this is one of the games that – this is almost like a postseason game for Clemson in a lot of ways or for Florida State in a lot of ways. So this is one of those games where I think you don't have a snap count or, or a uh, – you don't have like a count on how many times you can run the quarterback. And when this offense is run, can run the quarterback, I think it opens up things a lot. So I'm going to take the Seminoles minus the two and a half. Yeah. I mean, obviously if Clemson loses, they're out of the playoff race completely. The winner of this game has essentially a mulligan to get to the ACC title game uh, here on out. So it's a pretty important game for, for both schools. Agreed. All right. Uh, Ole Miss goes to Alabama. Uh, six and a half point favorite. Alabama is at home in this one. They did announce that uh, Jalen Milrow will be their starting quarterback again. There has been some interesting um, back and forth between Lane Kiffin and his his former boss Nick Saban there at Alabama. <laughs> uh, yeah, there really has been. Lane, I, Lane uh, is Lane is great. Lane is very entertaining. He's entertaining. I'm glad he's not my head football coach, but he is very entertaining. Hey, there was a lot of us on the Lane train for a while before Dan came came out of the woodwork. I think he's like doing it like to, to like for his defensive coordinator because his defensive coordinator was kind of forced out of Alabama last year, Pete Golding. Um, so I think he's knifing at Saban, and also like it's one of those things where it's like hit him while they're down. I guess if you're if you're Kiffin, um, specifically, yeah. I know they were they recruit against him a lot for in-state guys. So I still think. What what's the line on this now? And for us, it's uh, saw, six and a half. I saw a couple numbers this week. Six and a half is yeah. what we got for Alabama. Yeah, so I'm going to take Ole Miss um, to cover. Yeah, Justin also took Ole Miss in this one. I'm actually rolling with the Tide. I, I think they're poking the bear at home. I think actually, they want to. You switching I'm it up? Stick. Yeah, I agree because they're 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 playing Milrow, and I, there's there's a lot of injury questions at the skill positions for Ole Miss right now. Um, I actually had fired off a. A, uh, a parlay this morning that I ended up taking back, well, at least taking Ole Miss out of it, um, because there's just a lot of questions about what, like, what skill players are even available for Ole Miss this week. All right, we got so you and I are on Bama, Justin's on the Rebs. Let's move over to uh, why am I blanking out on wherever the hell Notre Dame plays? South Bend. South Bend. Thank you. Move over to South Bend, where Notre Dame will be hosting. Ohio State, getting old sucks, by the way. We'll be hosting the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State is a three-point road favorite in this one. Um, who you got here? Uh, I got Notre Dame. Um, and it's mostly because I actually think I trust – well, I don't think I do trust Sam Hartman more than I trust any of the quarterbacks for Ohio State in this matchup. Yeah, Justin also went with Notre Dame, and I'm also going to Notre Dame, which I, at the beginning of the season I would have – told you there's no way I'm picking Notre Dame in this game. But, you know, through three games, I think there's enough questions about Ohio State, and I think there's a lot of questions about Notre Dame have been, I don't want to say definitively answered, but they've outperformed expectations, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. They're playing at home. They're getting three points. I don't think this is a blowout. I think this is a very good, very competitive, very close game. But 
I'm going to take the the team I trust a little more that's playing at home and getting three points. So I like Notre Dame. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think that Notre Dame has like kind of a, like they're kind of quietly, they're not like super hyped. And I like that. Like, I don't, I don't think that like hype for teams like Notre Dame is good. Um, and I, I don't really trust the Ohio State quarterback situation. I actually don't trust their offensive line situation. I know that there's been a lot of talk all week about how they've figured out their run game against Western Kentucky. And I think that's more a fact, uh, of a byproduct of the opponent than it is of the fact that they actually fi- fixed all the issues with the run game. Um, I think that their offensive line is going to struggle. And uh, I, I just like Notre Dame's ability to be balanced offensively. I think this you know, is a low-scoring game. I don't. I don't know what the over/under is, but I'm. I'm probably going to bet on it. I will look that up while I'm going into our next thing. Let's see if I can multitask here. You know what time it is now, QB? Time is it? It's Big Ten time. Oh, we yeah, got two more games to pick, and they are Big Ten games. We're we are getting familiar with our future conference mates. We're gonna actually pick a game involving the Rutgers Scarlet Knights for the second week in a row, which is, is words I never thought in a million years I would ever say, but Rutgers three and O Rutgers, your three and O Rutgers Scarlet Knights are going on the road to the big house to take on the three and O who have not played anybody yet. Uh, Michigan Wolverines is, is Rutgers somebody can Michigan say they played somebody after this game? No, no. Okay. Uh, I'm taking Michigan. I don't even care what the number is. It's 24. The number is 24. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still taking Michigan. And the over-under is only 44. <laughs> so that means the score would be like, what, 38? Uh, 30 I don't. 40, I don't 30 to uh, 14. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of faith in uh, Rutgers' ab- ability to score points. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Michigan's been been kind of toying around with, with the, the meat they've been playing. Also, this will be, uh, you know, Coach Jim Harbaugh's first game of the season. Yeah, I think so. they'll want to make like I feel like especially because some of their scores have been somewhat underwhelming. I think that they'll want to make a make a point here, especially at home opening Big Ten play um, against a, a overmatched opponent. Absolutely. Uh, going back to that Ohio State Notre Dame game, the over under is fifty five and a half. Twenty seven, twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty seven. That sounds about right. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to touch that. <laughs> All right, one more game. Your Iowa Hawkeyes needing, I think they're slightly above schedule for Brian Ferentz to keep his job at the end of the year. The drive to 325, I think they're just ahead of schedule um, on a game on an, a game average basis. But if you look at it from an opponent-adjusted basis, I think they're actually behind schedule. Uh, so Brian needs to step it up, but it's not going to be easy this week because they go on the road to Happy Valley, Penn State. This is, is a whiteout a... game. Give me Penn State minus all the points. Like, is it a whiteout game? The... Yes, this is their whiteout game. Oh God, yeah, homecoming uh, whiteout game. Fifteen point, fifteen points. Yeah, yeah, no, just give give me all that. Uh, okay. Well, so Iowa can't State. run the ball. They can't throw the ball. Penn State will will score enough points against a good Iowa defense. Like, I'll give them some credit. Yeah, they I don't are, know where they, they keep getting these defense. random white defensive backs from the state of Iowa who are really, really good players. But The over-under in this one is 40, um, which at a 15-point spread, I guess that makes it, what, uh, 25, 20, no, like 28 to 10 or something like that. So um, I have 
I actually pick an Iowa in this one, not to win by any stretch, but 15 points against their defense. Hey, you're going to regret that. I probably will. I probably will, but I got it on paper and, you know, it gives me a chance to, you know, you and you and Justin are both rolling with Penn State. So if I come out on top, I I, I take one for both of you. So it's an opportunity to well, get ahead. I just think that Penn State's the, got the or best quarterback in the – Yeah, I think Penn State's got the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Uh, that's not a high bar, is it? I mean, this year. I don't mean that as a diss. I was more saying. I know, I, but I, I am saying, though, like, okay, so where would Drew, is it Alar? 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 Where would Drew Alar rank in the Pac 12 quarterback hierarchy? I, I mean, we need to see a lot more of him, um, to be honest with you. But I think by year's end, I'd probably put him top four or five. Probably, probably top four or five. All right. Like, he's. Today he's better than everybody but Penix, Williams, Shador, and Nix. Um, and he's got better physical talent than Penix, Nix, and Shador. But he's just—it's his first year starting, so there's still like there's a learning curve there. Yeah, that makes sense. That's all the games I got for this week, QB. Yeah, I I feel like I'm I'm starting to now that we're getting more Pac-12 on Pac-12 play. Oh, I could be totally jinxing myself. It could be a horrible week. Like Oregon could not like cover and, and I could lose a bunch of money this week. Um, and, and, and I, it could turn out that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about with the pac 12 teams this year, but I, I feel like I'm starting to figure out, I think this week will be very telling for a lot of pac 12 teams. Um, yeah. Not necessarily it, USC or Washington, because I, I don't know that they're really going to be under threat at all, but um, I think we're going to learn a lot about Oregon's ability to cover the pass this week. Um, I think we're going to figure out what the what the reality behind this Beaver offense is, uh, among other things. So it, I think it's the the ranked matchups between UCLA, the, all all three ranked matchups: Oregon, uh, Colorado, UCLA, Utah, and Washington State. Uh, Oregon State, I think, are going to produce some like some pretty telling outcomes. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. I think we're going to learn about all all six of those teams a little bit uh, this weekend, which is great. And then, obviously, as the season wears on, we'll we'll start to get a little bit more and a little bit more about some of the others. Um, you know, one of the things I was talking about with somebody earlier today is how much harder it is to get any kind of sense of of anything from these non conference games because. I mean, FCS has always been hard to get any value from, but now that even the group of five games are becoming less and less valuable because the talent disparity between the power five and the group of five is growing very rapidly with the transfer portal, right? Like any good players pop off in the G5 and then they're in the power five and those teams. And then obviously also a lot of their best teams have now been migrated up to the power five as well. So these games are just, they're coming almost like FCS plus like Hawaii. Like, I mean, do we learn a lot from that game? Does no. do we learn a lot from from Washington playing Tulsa? Uh, I mean, these are just like significant overmatches that really don't tell us a whole lot. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with you. Um, and I don't like. I think that the 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 Pac-12 being a deeper conference, but the spread between the elite and the non-elite is still massive in college football. Um, and I think that we're going to see a lot of blowouts this year between the, the less competitive teams in the conferences. Yeah, and especially in in the Pac-12 where you have such high-powered offenses, right? I mean, between yeah, I mean, like there's such good quarterback play across the board. I mean, of all the teams that like we would consider like at least respectable and solid, like the only team that doesn't have a like 
really good quarterback is probably Arizona. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, like you look at you look at Oregon, Colorado, UCLA, Utah when they get rising back. Uh, you know, Washington State. We've seen it do it a couple times this year already. USC and Washington, right? All these teams when they're playing a lower half team, that's a blowout waiting to happen just because they're going to put up forty plus automatically. Yeah, and there's not like none of these teams at the bottom of the conference this year have defenses that I think will make them competitive in these games. Except Cal. It's gonna, Cal's, it's gonna Cal's take tough. a team just Cal's not. got a dominant defense led by some of the best defensive coaches in the country, QB. Yeah, I, again I don't I I made that pick more as a troll. I hope it pit, hits because I don't want to fall behind <laughs> trolling, but um uh, yeah, the the offense the good offenses are so much better than the middle and, and lower tier defenses that I think that like these a lot of these teams are just gonna get freaking smoked. Yeah. No, you're right on, and you're right. Especially on. the top right. three teams. The top three teams. It's like, what in the world? Like Oregon, USC, and 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 Washington are going to light these horrible defenses up. I mean, again, like Washington, I think is probably open to the most variance just based on the fact that, like, if let's just say Penix is off for whatever reason or has a sloppy day and he turns the ball over a bunch, like that could put them in trouble. Or it gets Whereas, real windy like, and rainy or something. I mean, yeah, he's got a pretty strong arm. I think he can cut through the wind, but. Um, like whereas like I think Oregon and USC could win in more ways, but that that passing game is a hell of a way to win. Like if you can just bomb it on people, and there's a lot of teams in the Pac-12 with four cornerback rooms, yeah, and bad pass rushes. Yeah, that their passing game really elevates their ele, like elevates their floor so quite a bit this year. Like you know, I I would have, you know. Every team's got a floor, right? And you're like, okay, your floor outside of like c- catastrophic injury, right? Like your floor, I might have had their floor at seven or eight wins, but I think it's nine now, but just because like that passing game is so elite, like there just isn't there isn't enough teams that can score with you or slow you down enough. Again, it would just take a catastrophic day at the quarterback position, right? Yeah, yeah, and like they're really there good. Was, I mean, we saw it last year against ASU. Like it, it wasn't like catastrophic day but i think they were also a little bit more vulnerable last year than they are this year i do i agree with that i agree with that um okay that's all we got for today sweet like we did yeah so uh, yeah listen to us uh of course on spotify apple leave your reviews we'd love to get those back to you we will be taking questions in our recap show next week so get those in on monday either sunday or monday we'll, we'll put a call out on twitter for those follow us at at qb11 show at qbsd at right qb11 sd sorry at qb11 sd at douglas ts and um check out scoopduck.com for all the latest in recruiting justin's covering all that over there and we will be back at you with our instant recap show after the game on saturday about an hour or so after the game and then of course we'll be back next monday morning with our usual recap of the week that was in college football thanks for listening everybody we will be talking to you soon